simply will not buy the world that the elders have given them. They see too much hypocrisy in it. They see too many things that are wrong with it. And I think that the elders are going to have to realize that they simply can no longer browbeat youth into following its established path. Welcome back to Sunset Politics. We've been gone for a while, but we're back, back again, ready to talk. I'm Story. I'm Molly. Uh, and together, we are going to save the world today. Uh, but first, <laughs> how have you been since the last time we spoke? Um, I've been pretty good. Thank you for asking. Uh, finals are coming up, so definitely a little bit stressed, but hoping that they'll all go well. Um, I feel like it's kind of interesting because, like, I know we had finals in high school, and I feel like it's such a different playing field in college. Like, I feel like I'm more prepared because of the finals we had, but also, like, it's not as crazy in college as they make it seem in high school, I feel like. Like, I feel like in, uh, like, the school we went to, they were like, yeah, you're going to have, like, three finals every day, like, all these crazy things, and, like, now you have, like, maybe, like, one, and then, like, a day break and then another one or maybe you'll have two in one day but like that's like the most you're gonna have usually depending on what school you go to obviously too but I don't know definitely um different than I expected but I I think I'm liking how college finals are set up right now I I mean I can't really talk because mine are like papers um but yeah what about you story how are you and how are you feeling about finals I'm feeling pretty good. Three. I'm taking four classes right now. Three of them already finished up because I, we turned in our final projects. I have one final exam next week that's in person, uh, which is low for me. Usually, in in all my terms prior, I've had either two or three, but just one uh, this time, which is sort of refreshing. I'm not too worried about it. It's a it's a class I enjoy, and I've got some good friends in it that are helping me study. So, yeah. Um, I'm I'm sort of glad to be done with this term. I'm I'm really excited for all the classes I'm taking next term, but I got like a a month of winter break first, so I think I think things are looking up for me right now. Um yeah, I also got to be involved in a special theater event last week for that was basically plays from uh or scenes from plays about the Israel-Palestine conflict. Uh which I think that sort of segues into some updates that we were going to talk about on uh, that conflict. So the big thing that happened, um, well, actually, yeah, we t- we last time we talked about it was like right at the start of it. It was like uh, about a week or so after um, the initial attack by Hamas. Um, and so since then, a lot of things have happened. Uh, Israel has launched a invasion of the Gaza Strip. Uh, there was a ceasefire that lasted... A couple of weeks, it was it kept being extended, and just a couple of days ago, uh, Israel declared that Hamas had violated the ceasefire and then started attacking again. Um, and at this point, about uh, fifteen thousand people um, have been killed in the Gaza Strip, uh, which is about uh, it, th- that number comes from the Gaza Health Ministry, which a lot of people don't trust because they're they have connections to Hamas, which is true. But if you look historically, like their numbers have been very accurate 
and um, there's not really any better numbers. So, I mean, of course, like fog of war, we don't know everything, but I think we can expect that 15,000 number to be about accurate, if not exactly accurate. Um, no numbers are ever exactly accurate. But that's about 10 times more than the number of people killed uh, in the initial attack by Hamas. Um, we also saw, over the course of the ceasefire, we saw a lot of um, prisoners and hostages released on, on both sides. Uh, and it was revealed that a significant portion of the Palestinian hostages Israel was holding had never been given a trial or even formally charged with anything. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely really crazy because I know, like, the reports of, like, 15,000 killed in Gaza were, like, about five days ago, so those numbers have probably shot up a little bit since um, the resuming of, like, Israeli, like, movement on Gaza. Um but I think it's really interesting, like, some of the language that is, like, used, like, between, like, Palestinians and Israelis, like, by, like, officials. Because, like, obviously, like, all of the people who Hamas took are hostages. And, like, I'm really disgusted by all the people who are posting, like, oh, look how well they were treated. Like, these people saw people, like, brutally murdered and were taken from their homes and many of them were injured very badly. And even if it wasn't injured physically, like emotionally and probably have a lot of trauma. Um, and there's also a lot of Palestinian children that were, in my opinion, taken hostage by the Israeli government over the years because they were held without trial and were basically just taken, um, for being suspicious or whatever it may be. And, at the same time, though, I think it's important to recognize, though, like there are people who were held in Israeli jails for good reason. People who tried launching attacks on um, like Israeli civilians or um, some of them were on soldiers. So you can understand more why like those kinds of people were in jail. But it's also interesting to me that like a lot of those like quote unquote prisoners were like people who were just like there and being held for basically no reason and were not given a trial. Um but I, I don't know. I just feel like, again, like there needs to be more empathy on both sides for like the in it, all these innocent people being affected. Um, like the Israeli government sucks and Hamas sucks. So it's like I think the more that everybody can recognize those two things, like the better off we are. And I think there's a lot of people like civilians on both sides who just want to coexist with each other and are willing to find common ground and, again, coexist. Um, I know after the initial... Um, Hamas attacks, there were um, a group of Jewish and Muslim mothers in Jerusalem who held like a little protest um, and were basically calling uh, both of their governments for peace. Um, and this did not really get much news coverage, but I feel like that kind of shows you like these are just everyday civilians and they're coming together despite their differences to like say like, we just want peace. We just want to coexist. Um one thing I thought was really interesting story that I kind of want to hear your opinion on or just like your like your reactions is Candace Owens actually was talking about what's going on. And she was saying that when she visited Israel, she she thought that it looked like a segregated country. And she saw that like there was like tension between um, like the Palestinians and the Israelis. 
And I thought it was really interesting that she talked about it because a lot of like really conservative, um, like people like Ben Shapiro and such, um, have been like, like very reluctant to call out also like the Israeli government for like their faults. And I don't really agree with Candace Owens, but I did think it was kind of interesting that like her as an American went there and like really saw that like kind of like second class treatment happening. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's interesting. I don't I don't really follow Candace Owens that much, um, but I I'm pretty sure she's actually fought with Ben Shapiro over other things. Um, yeah, Ben Shapiro's like is is a very hard line defender of of the Israeli government. Um, he's also Jewish himself, if that means anything. But um, yeah, uh, so I believe he is. I believe he has family there. I'm not sure, but um, he is. He's defended Israel a lot, um, and Candace Owens has had like disagreements with him over how they've run the. I think they're both part of the Daily Wire. Um, yeah, that's correct. So yeah, I believe Candace Owens has also said like other anti-Semitic things in the past. So it's it's possible that like, you know, her criticism of Israel is motivated by something else other than a legitimate dislike of Israel. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Which you know I don't I don't want to say that without really following her content that much so I don't really know but um, I yeah. think I think yeah I think we should be weary of the reasoning behind people's uh, decisions and not just looking at them at face value. Mm-hmm. The other thing though that is interesting about her too is she she kind of dishes it out to everybody as well like she said a lot of like very like Islamophobic and like anti Arab sentiment as well in the past so I think we should be weary for sure but I also think it's like kind of interesting that she is in a way kind of like I don't want to say standing up for Palestinians but also kind of like calling out some of the hypocrisy because like she definitely has made comments about both sides in the past that are like. Oh, do not say that. But I was very surprised to, because I don't really follow her either, but just to hear her like kind of say something out of the ordinary, I guess is like, yeah. Um, And then the other thing I kind of wanted to talk about, um, I don't know if anybody heard, but um, Representative Rashida Talib, she was censured um, by the House. Um, Story, do you want to give any background on that or do you want me to? Um, yeah, so from my understanding, there were two main things cited, and that was, like, her statement released on October 8th, um, which basically said, like, I'm, I, I, I'm grieving the, the loss of people on both sides today, um, and I, you know, I pray that, you know, in the future we can, uh, change the systems in, in, in Israel that create apartheid, which cause people to do violent things like Hamas did, um, and so I guess like people in Congress construed that as her defending Hamas by saying it was um, in response to Israeli policy, which I think it's like factually it probably was like Hamas would not be as motivated to do things like that if it weren't for Israeli systems. Um, and the other thing was that she used the phrase from the river to the sea, which has become sort of a, a flashpoint in this conflict of like, is that like a genocidal phrase? Um and if you ask some people, it is, some people, it isn't. Uh, and that goes on both sides because <laughs> there are some people that will use the phrase and basically say, yeah, we need to wipe Israel off the map. Um, from the river to the sea, it means literally the, the full phrase is from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And it's talking about the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, um, which are basically the, the borders of 
you know, Israel, Palestine, all of it. Um, so some people interpret that and some people actually use it as saying, you know, we need to wipe Israel off the map. And some people use it as like, we need to have like freedom for Palestinians and all of that land, regardless of what state is there. If it's an Israeli state or Palestinian state or a, a multi-ethnic state. Um, and I guess like people construed her use of the phrase as the, the, the worst one, um, the one calling for the eradication of Israel. And so basically the house voted to censure her. Um, I think a lot of Democrats sided with Republicans on it. Um, the censure doesn't really mean much. I think she lost some committee positions and it was basically just formally saying like the house doesn't like what this person said, but she still, she still is a representative. Um, she still has voting powers and all that. I, I think, I think it's a shame. I think, um, it shows that people who, um, are in positions of power are, are unwilling to listen to criticisms of, of some of the things that they support. Um, and I think like, I think continuing in that way is unsustainable. That's what got us to October 7th was not being willing to listen to the other side. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And like, I think in this case, like as an Arab, when people say from the river to the sea, it's not supposed to be a call for genocide of all Jewish people. What it really is supposed to say is um, Jewish people and Palestinian people deserve the same freedom and the same land. Because right now, and I have a pre professor who's Israeli who's talked about this. Right now, people who live in Gaza can't leave. They are blockaded in. And so it's kind of like, basically what they're saying is like, people who live in Gaza should be able to live in all of the land as well as the Jewish people who live there. And I think a lot of people have misconstrued that. And unfortunately, there's a lot of other Arab and Muslim people who have turned that into a like, oh yeah, we don't, we don't want all of them. They all need to leave all these things that just are really not true. And obviously I completely contempt that behavior. Um, but I think it's really unfortunate that that call for freedom of a group of people has been turned into something that's like, no, their freedom means that, um, a lot of, or not a lot of, all of the Jewish people who live there will have to leave, which that's not how freedom should work. Like one person's freedom shouldn't mean that another group doesn't get to have freedom. Like freedom should be something we strive for with like every group of people who's oppressed. Um, and the other thing is like Rashida Tlaib, I really think the hard thing with her is she has said things in the past a hundred percent that are anti-Semitic. Like I will not sit here and deny that. Um, the only thing that bothers me about her getting censured is um, there's a lot of Republicans in Congress who have said despicable things about Gaza and nothing has happened to them. For example, um, Representative Max Miller from Ohio literally said, quote, we're going to turn that into a parking lot in regards to Gaza. And that to me is really disgusting because I have family who's Palestinian. I have family who's been affected by what is the violence, including my own dad. And when people say things like that, I think it just means that you're like, that to me is saying, okay, all of the behavior by the Israeli government um, is okay. Just like how, like, I don't know. I just say like, I don't want to turn it into like a this or that thing, but I do think it's slightly like disgusting when people are like, okay, like this side is wrong, but this side can say whatever they want. And not everybody is like that, but like in Congress, it just seems like because Rashida Tlaib said like, you know, she, again, she has said problematic things, but because she's basically calling for 
Palestinian's have equal rights. She's seen as a terrorist. And they have called her a terrorist in the past. That is a quote. Um, and then another one is, I don't actually, I don't want to, I don't want to say that on, on here. Let me find a different one. That one's a little much. Um, Senator Lindsey Graham said, level the place. Tom Cotton, um, who's a senator from Arkansas, said Israel can, quote, bounce the rubble in Gaza. And he said, um, yeah, that basically because of what Hamas did, all Palestinians deserve everything that's happening to them. Um, I just am, like, so disgusted by how, like, the, all Palestinian civilians have been blamed for what a group of disgusting, horrible people did who are a terrorist group. Um, but I just, I don't know. I just am really disgusted. I, but I will say also, I think it's funny when people are like, oh, the IDF, it's like the most moral army in the world. And it's like, no army is moral. You know, like in my opinion, war is just horrible and wrong and any violence against people is wrong. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Those are just my thoughts. And I feel like as an Arab American, I've been really disgusted and disappointed in the way that these people have been speaking because they're taking it like against all of us a lot of them. And I just think that all forms of anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, like anti-Arab racism should be condemned. And like, you can have a like constructive conversation about what's happening. And the fact that like, there is an occupation of like Palestinian territory going on. And, you know, again, October 7th should not have happened. What is happening now is obviously a response to that, but is beyond what anybody I think could have imagined. Um, I think something that's interesting is I've heard a lot of people say in the last few weeks, like, um, well, like imagine a world without Hamas, like then Palestinians could like, <laughs> then Palestinians could have freedom and they could, you know, be equal or whatever that people want to say. But a world without Hamas is the West Bank. And the West Bank um, is occupied, and there has been extreme levels of violence that have been happening since October seventh there as well. So I just think that like it's kind of interesting that people will kind of be like, oh, like a world without Hamas, but then like the West Bank is like that, and like they like bombed a refugee camp there, and like nobody really like condemned that, so. I don't know. I just feel like, sorry to be like dragging on for so long to all of our listeners, but if you can't tell, like this topic for me is like very like close to home. And I just like genuinely wish that like no more violence comes to any more innocent civilians on either side, because there's just so much that is happening to people that is like so disgusting and horrific and just beyond even like a conflict if that's what people want to call it. Like, it's just, di like, disgusting behavior on both sides. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're totally right. Um, and I also think you're not alone. Because um, you mentioned, like, as an Arab American, how, how troubling this is for you. Uh, and there's a, a really interesting stat that I saw a couple weeks ago. 
Um, and that's that Arab American support for President Biden has plummeted since um, Israel began its war in Gaza. Um, in 2020, it was at, at about 60%, and Arab American voters were key in states like, in, like Michigan and Wisconsin that ended mm-hmm. up like being what decided the election for President Biden. And now it's at about 17%. Because um, it, it is really hard for people with personal connections to those conflict to justify supporting President Biden at this moment. Um, and I, I, you know, I think part of that could be like expressive response. Like people are, are saying, you know, we don't support Biden, but they might still end up voting for him because I think, you know, most people would agree Trump would have done about the same thing as President yeah. Biden here, if not, if not worse, at least from the perspective yeah. of Arab American voters. A hundred percent. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's because President Biden I, is basically back Israel. He's he literally said like from at the start, like our support for Israel remains unconditional, um, unconditional, which is. You know, it's it's I, I think that's pretty sad to see. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, as an Arab American as well, like, I'm just so not surprised anymore by all these people, like, proclaiming their, like, unconditional support to Israel and, like, they can do no wrong in their eyes when, like, they are committing war crimes. Um, personally, I think bombing a hospital and murdering 500 people to kill one person is a little bit extreme. Because, you know, you can do a special operation and cause less civilian harm. But that's just me, personally. I think that's a bit of a war crime to bomb a hospital, even though there are all these claims that there are underground tunnels under these hospitals and whatnot. And I don't know. But personally, that to me is like there's a better way to go about that. Um, But I think also the problem with President Biden is like... I think he tends to give a little bit too much credit to the IDF as well. Like we already give Israel about $3 billion a year in like military aid. And again, from my family's personal experience, I can tell you the IDF is not a moral military because no no military is a moral military. Um, Militaries are in the business of killing people and war. And that is a very immoral, um, not that like you're a bad person for being in it, but like you can't really claim that like it's a moral profession, I guess, like, is the best way to put it. Like, I don't know. I just, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to say is when my dad was a kid, when he used to walk to school, the IDF is the people that would be trying to shoot at my dad. Um, and my dad was a child and I'm just going to say it straight. Hamas did the exact same thing to his innocent Israeli civilians, you know? So it's not like it's like a just IDF thing. My point though, is like, we have to condemn both. Like, I'm not going to, I don't think necessarily that like the IDF deserves another $14 billion of our money that we could be spending on our people here um, to use towards destruction. Do they have like a duty to protect their civilians? Of course, every country does. But I just don't think like this use of calling the IDF so moral is like appropriate. And I just feel like that's a lot of money that we're giving them. Um, I don't know. Do you have other thoughts? Sorry. I just, yeah, of course (laughs) I I could, I could talk about this forever. Um, I think another thing is you mentioned, you know, billions of dollars going to the Israeli military. Um, 
the U.S. is now in a position where it's supporting two major wars in the world, in Ukraine yeah. and in Israel. And potentially a third one is going to start sometime in the future in the South China Sea, either over Taiwan or the Philippines or, or something else. Um, and we're going to be in a position where we're going to essentially have to be fighting three wars at once. And that's very, very hard to do, even for a, a country with as military as powerful as the U.S. Um, and, you know, if you're going to ask me to choose between those three conflicts, I think supporting Israel is probably the least crucial to U.S. national security. Um, I think it's arguably something we shouldn't be doing anyway, even if we do get some benefits from it. Um, Israel is a very powerful military. It's the most powerful in the Middle East. Um, like, they can fight this war on their own, or they cannot fight it at all, I, I think. Um, I don't think there's any reason why we should be supporting it when there's, you know, other things that that could be used for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's, I also think that Israel's goal is unachievable. Like they're not going to be able to destroy Hamas unless they literally kill every single person in the Gaza Strip. And that's not, they're not going to do that and get away with it because support for Israel's is going down in the U S and it has been for a while. Um, I think if you ask, young Jews now, 51% of them are actually more favorable towards the Palestinian side, um, in the U S. Um, Israel just doesn't have, and I think, uh, among like Democrats in the U S it's similar, like more Democrats support Palestinians than they do the Israeli side, which is like something that has never really been true in America. America has always been like very much pro Israel. Um, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think it's interesting too, that like a lot of Jewish people um, have said, like, when they go on birthright, they kind of see, like, the inequalities that exist and, like, just how, like, Palestinians are treated and it makes them, like, wonder, like... Like, I know this one girl I talked to was saying um, she's Armenian and she's Jewish, and she was saying, like, my parents have more claim to land in Israel that they've never lived on ever than they do in Armenia. And like, I don't know, I think that's just kind of like scary because like obviously like Jewish people are indigenous to that land, but also Palestinian people are indigenous to that land. So it's like, I don't know, it's just like sad that like there are people though who like have more claim to the land than like people who are just as like deserving. Um, But there was one more thing I was gonna say. Sorry, I'm trying to think. I keep, like, blinking. I need to, like, write these things down. Um, Oh, like, I guess one thing I will say is... um, I know there's been, like, a lot of stuff going on on, like, college campuses in regards to what's happening in the Middle East. Um, And I think that there's a big issue with... um, A lot of colleges are basically refusing to protect... Arab students um, from any sort of harassment or violence that is going on. Um, I know at my college, um, there was a big push against my president of my college to address some of the incidents. Like, for example, there was a guy who was mad at this girl for protesting, so he ripped off her hijab, which is not okay. Um, And at the same time, though, Jewish students also deserve to be protected. Like, they do not need to be harassed or criticized. Um, I think it's very anti-Semitic and disgusting to 
just criticize Jewish students for existing and also like how you can't just assume that like every Jewish person is going to be okay with what Israel is doing like in Gaza you know what I mean like just like how you can't assume that like every Arab student or Muslim student is going to be like oh yeah what Hamas did is good like you can't just make assumptions about people like and people are you know are going to have their beliefs at the end of the day and like nobody should be attacked like physically or like you know, have hate speech or anything like against them just for existing. Um, so hopefully like as the months go on, like colleges, like those levels of violence and like incidents will go down because I think it's really scary. Like as people in college, like just seeing a lot of what's going on, um, like against students on campus. Um, and I think a lot of people are also kind of using what's going on to their advantage, like as like a way to be anti-Semitic or Islamophobic and like spread those like disgusting ideals um, because there's been like certain things that have happened on my campus that are like very much like have nothing to do with what's going on. Like it's just a reason to be able to be hateful. Um, has that happened at your school at all story? Like where people have been like vandalizing or like just any incidents at all? Cause it's been like really big here. Um, I don't think as much. Uh, I don't pay too much attention to news like that. Maybe I should. But I, I think I don't think we've had as much of that happen. I I think we have had some. Good. Um, um, that's not good. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. I think people deserve protection. Um, I think. Um, yeah, I I think. Uh, educators really need to, be committed to empathy and understanding. And there's a group of. Uh, professors here that I've done some work with, that was the theater event I was talking about, that have basically been saying, like, yeah, we are coming together as a group. It's a mix of um, Jewish, Arab, Israeli, um, Egyptian professors from various different departments that are trying to do a series of educational events about the conflict. And they're, like, very committed towards empathy, understanding. You know, we don't all agree, but we don't want to destroy the other side. Um mm-hmm. I think, I yeah. think that's a good message. Um, yes. and so I'm, I'm glad that that's how like people on my campus are, are reacting. I was a you know, we mentioned like my, my university president, like put out a statement that said, you know, the university condemns Hamas's genocidal actions. That was like his first statement, which like, I don't think that what Hamas did was genocidal. Like that's a pretty big thing. It was certainly horrible, certainly should not be defended in any way. But just calling it like genocidal is it's putting one side apart from the other because genocide is something that's never okay at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, but you know, I don't think that was horrible, but I think, um, I don't know. I think we could all use a little bit more empathy and understanding. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, I last thing I want to say is, I think what really scares me the most is, but a member of my family has been getting harassed um, for posting like pro-Palestinians having basic human rights and not being murdered the way that they've been getting bombarded in Gaza. Um, And she's literally had people come up to her and like harass her um, for those things. And accusing her of supporting genocide, a second genocide against Jewish people and things like that. And 
by no means does is that what she's meaning to say by posting you know what i mean so yeah and i think that i'm sure there's things like that happening for um a lot of like israeli people as well and i'm like so sorry to those people from the bottom of my heart as well that like to anybody who's like going through like getting harassed for like you know recognizing all the innocent people who have been murdered like nobody should be harassed and especially just like for standing up for human rights and like the right to not just be murdered for existing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of, I mean, there's a uh, last thing I want to say is I want to address something I said last time, which was like that, you know, uh, a lot of times I have to take like a mental health break away from everything that's happening. Cause I feel like that's, that was like insensitive of me to say, because this is the reality for all of the people that live in this land 24 seven um, I think what I want to say is what I meant by that is sometimes I have to get off social media because seeing pictures of trigger warning, so skip ahead like 15 seconds, um, deceased people on Instagram and people who have been bombed, like that's a lot. And I understand that I have the privilege of being able to be removed from it. Um, but I also feel like for me, if I, and I think a lot of other people, if that's all we look at all day, the more desensitized we are to it. I mean, I was telling story this earlier, like my dad grew up with that. He's so desensitized to it because that was his reality for so long. So I think um, it's important that like we don't lose that like, oh, like he thinks it's like ob obviously disgusting and horrible what's going on. But he also, I think is so like, oh, I've seen this all before. And I don't want myself to be like that because like these things should not just be like, oh, again, you know, like it, it should be something that like we're like so horrified by. Um, but yeah, that's all I have to say for now. I mean, there's always more, but just all I can think of, unless you have anything to add. No, I think, I think that's a great place to end it. Uh, cause we have been talking about this for about half an hour now. We did have yeah. a couple other <laughs> topics we wanted to get to. Yes. Um, first of all, uh, we've been talking a lot about, um, the misuse of American power sort of in, in regards to Israel and, um, Another figure who is known for that in some circles, Henry Kissinger, uh, passed away a few days ago. Um, two uh, essentially cheers from some people who <laughs> vehemently disagree with him, and to um, you know the great sadness of some people that that appreciate his legacy. Um, and he certainly is a, a man with a complicated legacy. Um, we're just putting it lightly. <laughs> Uh, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say it. I, I totally disagree with a lot of things he did. I think he was, you know, one of the worst figures in, in recent American history, at least in foreign policy. Um, he, as secretary of state under, it was Nixon, I believe. Um, he derailed peace talks in Vietnam. He masterminded a secret bombing of Cambodia, which, um, there's a famous quote by some historian that studied him was like, uh, <laughs> all right, it was Anthony Bourdain. Um, once you've been to Cambodia, you'll never stop wanting to beat Henry Kissinger to death with your bare hands. Um, because what, uh, the results of that bombing in, in Cambodia, um, they were horrible for, for the country. They led to, um, the government taking power that would end up doing, um, the Khmer Rouge genocide which killed a sizable portion of that country's population for no good reason. Um, 
you know, although I will acknowledge though, despite all those, you know, failures, I think Kissinger had, he, he did undeniably have some successes. Um, the biggest of those possibly is the opening with China, um, that led to detente and, and actual peace being made between the U S and China, which some people would actually argue is a bad thing, but, um, you know, certainly, certainly it was a, a, a big accomplishment for him to make. Um, but yeah, uh, do you have any thoughts on Henry Kissinger? Oh, I think I was telling you this earlier, but I thought it was like, it's not funny, but it was a little bit funny because when Queen Elizabeth II passed away, a lot of people were posting like, this is so bad, but like, yay, she died. And people were doing the same thing with him. So I was like, ooh, he must have been really bad. I didn't really know that much about him. I've heard of him, but that, that quote about Cambodia, ooh, yikes. That's like all I have to say. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you have anything else you want to add about him or? I mean, yeah, like. Totally um, feel free. I'm, I'm generally against like celebrating people's deaths. Uh, you know, I posted something on my social media that was like, it wasn't exactly celebrating his death. It was an onion headline uh, that said, um, iconic napalm rights advocate dead at a hundred. Um, which, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't want, I, I hope I didn't, that wasn't construed as me celebrating his death because, you know, death is a, a sad thing no matter what. But um, I do think it's important that we talk about his legacy and sort of, you know, because it is, he is probably the most influential secretary of state in modern American history um, and not necessarily in a good way, I think. So I think it's, I think it's important that we can have, that we have difficult conversations um, about people uh, while also sort of recognizing the, the gravity of the situation. Um, and yeah, there have been a lot of people making jokes about his passing, some of which I think are funny, some of which are not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, um, I think the important thing is that we can move forward as a society, um, and that we're not necessarily, um, celebrating the legacy of someone like him, but we're also not like, um, you know, stooping to his level, if you know what I mean. No, totally. I agree. I feel like I under, I can understand why people like are like celebrating people like, like that passing away. But like, personally, I would feel weird even like no matter how much I disliked somebody or like disagreed with them because like, I feel like karma comes around and like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, kind of pivoting off of that. Um, we wanted to really quickly mention um, that former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor um, passed away this last week at the age of 93. Um, she was the first female justice that was appointed to the Supreme Court by President uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, and she was kind of more of like a centrist from what I've read about her, but she was also like typically like a crucial like swing vote for a lot of big cases like um, having to do with like abortion rights, for example. Um, so just want to say like remembering her and all of the great things that she did. And I think that she's a really great example of how, like, even if you don't really fully agree with people on something like, you know, you can still find middle ground. And I think, I think right now we need to channel a lot more of some of her energy with, with certain issues. I, but, yeah, I totally agree. I think, yeah, I think Sandra Day O'Connor is going to be well-remembered by history. I think, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like what you said, she was 
um, sort of a more centrist judge. She was she obviously considered herself a conservative. She was appointed by Reagan after all. Um, but I think at at her time she was actually one of the more liberal justices on the court, defending abortion rights in, in cases. Um, so yeah, and I, I think just I've read a lot of her writing, and I think she writes very well. Um, she has one piece that I've had assigned in multiple classes about um, uh, judicial independence, which I think is just I think it was a great piece. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I think Alito was her replacement. I believe was when she retired, Alito took her place, and Alito is obviously very far right justice. Um, and I think yeah, I think that moment is is possibly the uh, a moment you could look back on as a uh, what's the word for like a, a bad omen? There's a, a word I'm looking for, but basically a bad omen, yeah, of of things to come in the Supreme Court. And I think, yeah, I think we would all be better if the Supreme Court justices today acted like Sandra Day O'Connor. May she rest in peace. Yeah, may she rest in peace. I completely agree with you. Um, speaking of people acting better, um, George Santos. Um, <laughs> if you have not heard. George Santos was officially expelled from the House um, with a 311 yeses and 114 nays to the vote. Um, and he is the sixth member of the House to ever be expelled, but he's the first in over 20 years. Um, so, yeah, story I want to hear. I know we were kind of talking about this earlier, but you, your thoughts. Santos has become sort of a laughing stock of Congress. Um, if Congress already isn't a laughing stock of its own, um, he got in a lot of trouble for, I, I believe didn't, did he, I forget what exactly he did, but he's lied about a bunch of things about his history. Um, I think he stole money at some point, I think. Um, but I'm not sure. Um, I think the most egregious thing that he did, not because of like how actually bad it is, but because of like, why would you even do this? is he claims to have been a producer on the Spider-Man Turn Out the Dark musical, which <laughs> for fellow fans of musical theater, we know that as like the, like possibly the single greatest flop of musical theater history, like in, at least in recent times. Um, and he was like, yeah, that was me. I did that. <laughs> I was like, why, why would you do that? Like if you're trying to like lie for personal gain, like wouldn't it have been better to like say that you weren't involved? Like why? <laughs> I just I, I I don't get it. I'm yeah, I'm sort of glad that he was um uh expelled. Uh and I'm I'm glad it was done in a bipartisan manner. Um so yeah. Do you have any more thoughts? I just like can't get over how exposed this man has gotten. Like all those like like the pictures of him as a drag queen and like all of like the stuff that he has said. Okay, but the best part of all of this, in my opinion, was after he was voted out, he said, quote, like, to hell with this place. And I don't know why, but that's just so George Santos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, a, in a similar vein, we were sort of going to do a segment of, of the segment we call What the Heck Were They Thinking, which is just where we talk about, you know, dumb things that people in power do. Um, <laughs> and so I wanted to talk about another story. <laughs> It's just so funny to me. This in a similar vein <laughs> is Jesse Waters, the Fox News host, <laughs> does a story 
It's about like a minute long. You can find it online. <laughs> I'm talking about President Biden was drinking something with a straw. <laughs> and Jesse Waters goes on, on national TV and says, you know, uh, I, you know what I've always said about straws. I think it's just there's, they're too effeminate. Something about the way you're clasping the thing with your fingers. No, straws are, are not for men. Straws are for women and little children. <laughs> That is a, a direct quote from Fox News host Jesse Waters on President Biden. It's just, uh, it's I, I can't believe that this is like a serious thing that that people are are really paying attention to. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm not the biggest Biden fan, but that is hilarious. Like. Like, there's so many other thing, things to be focusing on right now, and Biden can't drink from a straw. Like, um, like sometimes, I'm sorry to anybody who's listening who is more conservative, who appreciates Fox News, but Fox News is so unserious because these are the kind of things that they just, like, talk about on their news channel. Yeah, that's all yeah. I have to say. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think with that, we're going to end it here. Uh, we've talked about it a lot today, and it's, some of it's pretty heavy stuff. So I'm glad we could sort of end on that. Um, you know, hopefully it's a bit of a lighter note. Uh, and on that note, uh, go drink some something out of a straw and sunset out.